Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, it is uh, just such a privilege for me to be able to wrap up our origin series today. And uh, for those of you who are perhaps here for the first time, or if you're listening online, my name is Jason, uh, the pastor here. And we have been teaching through a series uh, that has come out of the letter to the Hebrews and has taken us back into the Old Testament. And so which we've called this bigger series, Foundations, and this first sort of part of that, Origins, as we've been looking at the book of Genesis, the highlights of the book of Genesis through the goggles, if you like, through the, through the lenses of the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. And the last of the characters that we are to pick up today as we finish off the book of Genesis is Joseph. And we're going to look at his life in a way that perhaps we might not expect, uh, because I'm sure if you've been around the church for a bit of time, you'll have heard the story of Joseph and some amazing things that happened in Joseph's life. And yet the story or the moment that the writer to the Hebrews chooses to pick up and highlight for us as this evidence of faith perhaps is surprising. And that is because the glory of Joseph's life is seen in the way he chooses, despite the terrible ways that he is treated in his life. And Joseph is mistreated again and again and again. And yet, despite of that, he chooses to not become bitter, but to cultivate a heart of hope and trust in God, which enables him to see what God is doing and live with God in quite an incredible way. And that is what we're going to see is, is brought out um, both through Hebrews and, and in uh, Genesis as we go back to that. So let me read to you this window that we have in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to go from there and go back into Genesis. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now, if you're anything like me, you sort of approach that, and at first glance, it doesn't really seem that awe-inspiring and impressive. Perhaps it does. I mean, maybe that looks like just really wise planning. I'm going to think ahead and let people know what I'd like to happen with my body when I die. And that is actually a practical thing to do. And if you haven't done that, you know, it's maybe something that's worth thinking about. But it's not perhaps the thing that that grabs you with this awe-inspiring sort of punch. Wow, look at this life. Until you see the strength of this declaration of faith. The ability of Joseph to see as he is dying, having overcome every temptation towards bitterness and resentment in his life, having proved his faith through testing, he is now about to die mature, whole, and strong, which is something I think every Christian would long to be able to do, to be able to pass 
into the presence of God, mature, whole, and strong. And in this place of strength and inward peace, he's now able to prophesy the promise of the Exodus, the future reality of God's people. And so just to, to give us a glimpse and a reminder window into the life of Joseph, this 11th son of Jacob, God speaks to him at the age, I think, of 17 through these two dreams. You may remember the dreams. He has this first dream where they're all in the field and they've all got different sheaves of wheat and his 11 brothers' sheaves of wheat all bow down to his And then he has another dream about the sun and the moon and the stars all bowing down to him. And he sort of shares it with his family. And it's interesting, the family seems to all understand what the dreams mean, um, which I think is interesting. There's almost a generational inheritance on this family of being able to encounter God in supernatural ways. If you look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who all have these incredible encounters with God, it seems to be a part of that family expectation. And so it's not strange when the dream comes, they just don't really like what the dream means, because it's quite obvious that Joseph is going to be elevated to this position of authority, even over his family, which was quite taboo in the time. And so there is, this, there is this, um, this confession or this proclamation of this dream to his family, after which his entire life seems to be a train wreck. His brothers sell him into slavery. The worst kind of betrayal. You know, the wounds of betrayal are some of the hardest wounds to heal from and some of the deepest cutting wounds to experience. And I'm sure that there are people here today who've experienced betrayal. And I think, just to say on this, I think this is why Jesus is betrayed to the cross. So that he can overcome betrayal for those that have been betrayed. And provide healing for those that have been betrayed. And be able to say to us, I understand what it's like to have those that you put your faith and hope in turn around and stab you in the back. And to betray you even with a kiss is how Jesus is betrayed. God understands betrayal and he understands how deep those wounds go. But then not only is he betrayed by his family, he's betrayed and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Anyone here been falsely accused of something? People have said, you did this thing and you didn't do it. Or they make out that you did this thing and you didn't do it. It's a horrible feeling to be falsely accused, to have a lack of justice, to not be treated justly. And again, I think that this is part of the reason when Jesus goes to the cross, he's sent to the cross on the foundation, on the basis of false accusation, things that he hadn't done. Again, to provide a path of healing for us that have been falsely accused. And then he's forgotten, do you remember, by the chief cupbearer. Anyone had someone let you down? You know, you were, they sort of promised they were going to do something for you. And just in the moment when you were trusting they were going to come through for you and it really meant something to you, maybe as a child or as an adult or in business, and then they drop the ball and they don't come through and they let you down. 
and they forget about you. It's literally what happened. The cupbearer forgets about him. And so Joseph, in his life, seems to have had every opportunity to entertain bitterness, unforgiveness, and malice. But somehow, isn't this amazing? Somehow, he's able to walk not with the identity of a victim, as the circumstances would have loved to produce in him, but instead, he walks with the identity that God has given to him. This identity of significance. And I think that that is what enables him to see the plans of God so clearly. Above his circumstances and beyond even his own life. Now I was thinking of an example of what this is like. It's almost like um, bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. They're like the stuff that clogs up your drains. You know, that, uh, this was the, I'm sorry, this was the best example I could think of. You know, that horrible moment when you realize you've got to, you've got to clean out the drains in your sink or your shower or your bath or, or toilet or wherever it is. And something's got in there and blocked it up. And there's no free flow of water. Okay. And, and, and bitterness and, and unforgiveness and resentment. It's almost that these things block up our capacity to be able to flow with the revelation of God. And there is something about Joseph's life where he's able to process his pain in such a way that he can come to such inward freedom that he is unblocked, that he's able to flow with the ministry of the kingdom. So let me read to you from Genesis 50, some of this, some of this story that was anticipated. When, when the writer writes to the letter of, of Hebrews to the Hebrew people, he anticipates that we all know the story that I'm about to read as he writes that comment, which is why there's always more behind it in the letter of Hebrews. We need to know the Old Testament. So Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, and, and we pick it up as Jacob is, has just died. Joseph's father has just died. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge? And gosh, he had good reason to do it, to hold a grudge against them. Any of you had someone hold a grudge against you? Maybe you holding a grudge against someone this morning. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left instructions before he died. Okay, so you can see that they're, they're still feeling guilty and shame and fear, the fear of punishment. They're still scheming to try and kind of come out on top here. And this is what they say, you know, their dad said to them. They didn't say it to Joseph, but he said it to them. This is what you are to say to Joseph, he told us. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they have committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. And I'll say a bit more about his response in a moment. But, but just to say there's no indication in the rest of the scriptures that, that Jacob had left this message to, to the brothers. Um, it's quite unlikely that he did. Um, it probably would have been recorded if he had and probably would have say, been said um, to uh, Joseph himself. 
it goes on. Verse 18. Then his brothers came to him and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Interesting, trying to sort of uh, worm their way out of this. They, they, without recognizing it, perhaps end up fulfilling the dream of the brothers all bowing down to Joseph. Uh, We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, it's not for me to to judge and to execute punishment. Vengeance is the Lord's, is the truth that he is referencing there. And then he goes on to say what is perhaps the overarching statement, if not for the whole Bible, definitely for the book of Genesis. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And this is the story of Genesis. People keep sinning, breaking things. They keep not doing what God wants them to do. They keep messing up the wonderful things that God is planning. And yet God in his sovereignty is so powerful that he is even able to work in such a way that it ends up for the good. They intended it for harm, but God intends it to save many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children, he reassured them, and spoke kindly to them. Isn't that incredible? It goes on, verse 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived 110 years. That's just a little past Meg, who's still going. Okay, We're trusting that she will see 110 too. Okay, he lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying the promise is still in force. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. After they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And so we have this proclamation of faith that this promise to his father's to his generation, to this nation, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now to him and to his brothers, will come to pass. And the land of Canaan, the promised land, will be given to this nation. And the nations will be blessed through them. And he dies believing the promise. And so his faith is able to even go beyond his death. And so let's just look very briefly at the responses of Joseph, because I think they're very profound and inspiring. First of all, we see he wept. Um, Joseph, we know, had already forgiven his brothers. We find out about that in Genesis chapter 45, for those that are perhaps taking notes, as he brings them to Egypt to live with him. And he forgives them, and he releases them of this debt of offense that had been committed against him and promises even to care for them and to look after them. And though we're not told exactly in the scriptures why he weeps, I think Matthews in his commentary on on Genesis um, probably hits the nail on the head. He says that he was broken hearted, probably realizing that their estrangement 
was not yet fully healed. That despite his forgiveness that had been given, despite even seeking to bless them, they had not been able in their hearts to reconcile with him. And so this relationship was still broken. And it's a sign to us that we can actually do everything that's required of us in seeking to reconcile with someone. And they may not come the rest of the way. But Joseph was still in peace with God. He'd done what he needed, but they had not yet done what they needed. And so this brokenness of relationship was still present. It's also amazing to me that he does not become the punisher Though he almost had the right, or he did have the right to do that. Joseph says, am I in the place of God? Vengeance belongs to the Lord and not to me. And so we have this interesting book ending to the, to the book of Genesis. Where at the beginning and at the end, two people are tempted to take the place of God in some fashion. And Adam and Eve, we see, are tempted to take the place of God in regard to wisdom. They want to become wise to be like God through their own actions. And Joseph has this temptation to become the executor of this punishment. And yet he knows vengeance belongs to the Lord. And where Adam and Eve fall short and don't recognize the boundary between what is for God and what is for humanity... And they transcend that boundary. They sin against God. We see Joseph doesn't do that. He does not pick up this, um, this right to punish, which he recognizes belongs to the Lord. We see as well that I think because of that, he's able to perceive God's plan and God's will. Uh, Romans 12 says to offer your life as a living sacrifice to God. Then you will be able to see what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's something about responding in our hearts rightly to God that opens our eyes to the purposes of God. And we see that Joseph does that. I think this is why he's able to see so clearly. He's become internally free by releasing to God. This isn't sweeping it under the carpet, what's happened. It's not ignoring the problem. It's not saying an offense didn't take place. It's just saying, if this represents my right to punish, I am going to release that right to God. And I leave it with him. I don't carry it. I release them. That's what forgiveness is. But you don't release them completely. You release them to God, to his judgment and his wisdom. And he says, I now no longer have to carry the burden for making justice happen because I've entrusted it to God. And it's an incredibly powerful thing to do. It's not easy, but it's an incredibly powerful thing to be able to do. And we see that as he does that, he now becomes free to actually become a blessing, even to his family that have wounded him. Jesus says that we're to love our enemies, not just those who are kind to us, but to love our enemies. And he's able to love his enemies who were actually his own family were his enemies. And he's able to love them because he's released this punishment to the Lord. And so he transcends mercy and actually moves into grace. So uh, we did this with the youth the, um, the other week with them. There is mercy and there is um, grace and there is justice that are all experienced at the cross. 
When we sin, we've done wrong. We deserve punishment. Mercy wants to not give us what we deserve. Okay? That's God's mercy. Grace wants to bless us for what we haven't earned. But God can't be merciful and God can't be gracious unless there's justice. The punishment has to be punished. And so Jesus takes the punishment for us so there can be justice so that God can release to us mercy and grace. That's how it works. That's why God is able to be gracious to people who don't deserve it and it still be just because the punishment landed on Jesus. And we see here that Joseph not only releases mercy, but he releases also grace because he's entrusted the justice to God. Incredibly powerful um, emotional um, emotional processing of his hurt and his pain. And then we see that his faith is able to transcend even his death. As he entrusts himself to God, he can now die in the certainty of God's promise, that he will enter the promised land. And Joseph becomes for all of us a type, if you like, an example of what it is to die in faith. Strong, mature, whole, and healed with the faith that Jesus will come to get us and collect us, and we will go to be with him. So hopefully that unpacks a bit more of that slightly arbitrary-seeming verse in Hebrews. This was the challenge that I took out of this that I'd like to leave with you, okay? So that's the kindness I can give, the things that God challenges me with. I get to pass those on uh, for you to engage with as well. And it was this, Jason, what are you incubating? What are you incubating in your heart? You know, we will all experience hardship, pain, stress, disappointment, and loss. The gospel doesn't take that away from us, the challenges of life. Jesus says to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. Can anyone say that's true? (laughs) Okay, it's true. But he goes on to say, but take heart. What's meant to happen when we face trouble and difficulty and challenge? We're actually meant to take heart because God has overcome the world. When we experience pain, hardship, and challenge, it is an opportunity to begin to incubate in our hearts hope, faith, and trust in God. And so when we come through pain, and when we come through disappointment, and when we come through hurt, God says there are two paths that you can follow. Should have had a picture. Two paths diverge in a wood. Okay. Which are you going to take? The one path incubates the pain. incubates the hurt, the unforgiveness, the resentment. And if you do that long enough, you begin not only to have the hurt, but you take the identity of the pain and you become in your own heart a victim. And it leads to spiritual death, that path, as we incubate our pain. The other path, which is possible by God's grace and strength and help, We become not incubators of pain, but incubators, I'm just using things that I've got to hand, become incubators of hope and faith and trust. 
which leads to life and the identity of sonship, that we are God's children and he's coming for us and he's got it. He's got our future and we can entrust it to him. And our lives produce the fruit of what we incubate. Are you incubating unforgiveness and bitterness or are you incubating hope and faith? That, well, that was what I was challenged with. <laughs> and isn't it amazing the way we see Joseph continually choose the path of incubating hope and peace and trust? I think it's amazing. Uh, one of the other commentaries I read uh, described Joseph like, like this. He said, Joseph had a faith that remembered the promise, believed in the promise, and acted on the promises of God. And that changed shape defined his entire life. You know, it requires great faith to release our hurt and pain and justice to God. We have to believe that God ultimately will deal fairly with the way that we have been hurt and that God still cares for us. That's the faith test that Joseph passes. And it's not an easy one to pass but it is one that God wants us to pass and wants, us, wants to help us to pass so that we can enter into inward freedom and be able to perceive God's plans for you, for your life, that you would not be bound by pain, but that you would be set free by promise. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.